Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing great? Everybody fantastic, fine, marvelous, spectacular, Cowboys lost. Everybody doing okay? Listen, Christian love, what we're going to talk about today, does not rejoice when a brother has been fallen. We don't rejoice in the brother's brokenness. So, Cowboys lost today. Everybody say, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor. (laughs) Y'all, I don't believe you. I don't believe you're sincere when you say that. Anyway, uh, we're we're doing, uh, again, uh, walking through this view of the church. We're uh, turning to uh, God's Word to show us how the church is beautiful. And I pray that as we continue this journey looking at what the Scripture tells us, what God tells us about the church, we're going to see the beauty of the church again. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and uh, just put your finger in there and hold on to that place. We're uh, looking at the beauty of the church. While you're turning there, uh, remind you to join me and others in our church on this journey of prayer. We're praying at 1 o'clock for one minute for one thing every single day, and this is our journey as the church uh, called First Norfolk. The one thing that I invite you to pray over is the same thing we prayed over last week and the week before. In 2019, there is one person uh, that God would have you to um, share with them how that they can find life through Christ. Will you pray for that one person? You might not even know their name. You don't know who they are, but that's okay. Begin to pray at 1 o'clock for one minute uh, uh, every single day for this one thing. Oh, God, show me the person that you would have me be a witness to, an ambassador Uh, of Christ for them. Uh, Show me who they are and then pray that uh, God would give you opportunities and that you would walk through those doors of opportunity to share with them how that they can find life in Christ. Invite them to come to church with you. Uh, And I can promise you if just the adults in the room, let's, let's just take the people over 21, if just the adults in the room would commit to do this very thing and half of the people that are on our prayer list uh, committed to Christ, that would be over 200 people in 2019 who came to faith in Christ because if that's just half the adults, uh, if if just half of us committed and we saw fruit from that, uh, over 200 people. Guys, listen, let's commit ourselves to be aggressive uh, for God's glory in 2019. This is the beginning. Will you pray at 1 o'clock every day for that one person? Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we looked at the church called the Bride of Christ. And we looked especially at Ephesians chapter 5. Now, as Paul is writing his letter to the believers in Ephesus, he's calling them to understand who they are in Christ. There are different imagery that he uses. He begins in chapter 1 with this doxology of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is uh, given us, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, uh, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love and love, having predestined us to adoption as sons uh, in Christ Jesus. Uh, this doxology of praise is a blessing to God uh, that leads and leaks into a prayer that Paul begins to pray for the church and praying that they would be strengthened with all might according Uh, to God's glorious power revealed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
which then leads to Paul describing in chapter 2 who we are, uh, who we were before Jesus and, and what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 2, he says, you, you and I, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now works among sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourself in the lust of the mind and of the flesh, and you were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's who we were. But God, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ Jesus by grace you have been saved. Uh, And this is who we are now. He goes on in chapter 2 describing that we are no longer strangers of the covenant of promise, no longer distanced from God by our sin, but Jesus has broken down the partition between us and a holy God and between us and each other, and he's given us immediate intimacy with God uh, through his Holy Spirit. Uh, moves on in chapter 3, he finishes up the prayer that he began in chapter 1, and, uh, and, and, and he prays that God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we could ever ask or think, uh, that, that he would be glorified. He moves into chapter 4, and he talks about the church, and he describes the church as the body of Christ, the building of Christ. He says that, that Christ has appointed some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, for the building and evangelists, for the building up of the body, till we all come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. So that we're, we're edifying together, growing up together in love. That, that this love that Jesus has poured out for us would become the glue that holds the family of faith together. And then toward the end of chapter 4, in verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, anger, wrath be put away from you. You might underline it. It's a good, just a good thing to, to hold on to. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath be put away from you. Then verse 32 of Ephesians 4, it's close to where we're going to start, so you might look there. Ephesians 4, 32, he says, he says But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ also forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, And be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And walk in love or live a life of love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. As he gives us this mandate to love, uh, he then moves on and, and he talks about relationships that we have in the church, but more specifically relationships that we have in our home. Relationships in the church, summarized in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's a pretty good counsel for all of us that we should submit to one another. That means the, the points of view and the preference of others takes priority over my own. Uh, that's what submission means. So that's 5.21. But then he hits the household cold and household code, uh, which kind of rankles some feathers, at least in my home, as I shared last week at uh, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for this is good. No, that's not what he said. Submit to submit. It says it's right. It's kind of like good. Uh, But he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He goes on, verse 23, husband's head of the wife, also Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Uh, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
Okay, but we're not here to talk about that passage. I've done that. I've done my time in that passage, and I got the email to prove it. And, and so, uh, verse 25, we're not looking at husbands and wives. We're looking at the relationship between Christ and the church. This is what we did last week. Verse 25, husbands love your wives, and here's where we're picking up. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, so that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would, should be holy and without blemish. Let's just stop there. And if you remember, uh, Paul is talking about the church as the bride, and he says that the bride is beautiful because Christ's love has made her beautiful. That term for glorious in, in Ephesians 5.27, that he might present to himself a glorious church, that term glorious means splendiferous. Write that one down and Google it later. It means magnificent. It means arrayed in beauty. And, and that is how Jesus claims and calls the church. He says, you are beautiful. And what has made the church beautiful? What makes First Norfolk beautiful? It's not our programs. It's not our stained glass. It's not our platform. It's not our, 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 our preaching or our singing. What makes the church beautiful is the love of Jesus Christ. It is Christ's love that has made the church beautiful. We are made beautiful by love. And it's Christ's love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a self-giving love. It's a love that pays the price so that we might be forgiven and rescued, that brings us together as a family because of his righteousness covers us. We are now fit for God's family. And he brings us together in this local assembly called the family of faith, called First Norfolk, called the church. The bride is beautiful. Yes, you, the bride, you're beautiful. But here's the problem. See, we notice that there is, there is this gap between the beauty and the blemish. You see that in verse 27, that he might present to himself a glorious bride without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. But, but, but we know that there are some spots and wrinkles in this family of faith. We, we know that, that, that there is a gap between the beauty that Jesus claims and calls us and the, and the blemish that we still have. And it's our job every time we get together to open God's Word, to, to share life together, to, uh, to pray together, to, to, to celebrate new life together. Every time we gather together, the job that I have before me and that we have corporately is to shrink the gap between the beauty that Jesus has made us to be, called the church and, and new creations in Christ, and the blemish that our sinfulness uh, creates. Our job is to shrink the gap. When I was traveling uh, in England a few years ago, uh, I was uh, going into the tube, which is the subway, and, and you go into the tube there in London, and, and there are these signs that says, mind the gap. I just love hearing that, you know, mind the gap. Will you mind the gap? You know, what that means is there is a gap between the platform and the train. And it says, mind the gap. Be aware. Be, be aware of the gap lest you fall into the gap. Right? I, I think what we need to understand is every time we get together as the church, we are to mind the gap. 
We are to see the distance between who Jesus has made us to be, beautiful, and the blemish that we have remaining. And our task is to shrink that gap. Now, uh, as we look today at Ephesians 5, we're going to see one of the avenues that God has given us to mind the gap, to shrink the distance between the beauty and the blemish. And that is Ephesians 4, 32 and 5, 1 and 2. Now, we know that the church is made beautiful by love. We wouldn't even be here if it weren't for the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, we didn't make ourselves member of this family, no matter what you might think you did when you signed papers. If all you did is sign a bunch of papers, you may be a member on the books, but you're not a member of the church. If that's all you did, just sign a bunch of papers. Oh, yeah, it's time for me to join the church. I've got to join the church. People are looking at me. I've been holding off so I can still park in visitor parking, but it's time for me to join the church. I, I love it when you join the church, but that's it, it, being part of this family isn't just some, some mental um, uh, ascent that we take to some good organizational structure and say, I like that organizational structure. I'm going to be a part of that organization. That's not what joining the church is about. Joining the church is where I've been transformed by God's grace. And by his spirit, he leads me to graft my life into the life of this church, to, to unite as family, as brothers and sisters, uh, to, to join who I am to who you are, you who you are to who I am. This is the, the picture of Ephesians 4, that, that, that the whole body, joint and sinew, muscle and tendon, is joined together and, and held together uh, by the love of Christ. Okay, So you're here today and your DNA is to love because that's what Jesus' love has done for us. It's his love that brings us into this family. And it's his love that unites us together as family. It's his love that makes us beautiful. But it's also our love that shrinks the gap between our blemish and our beauty. One of the avenues that, that we have before us uh, to shrink the distance between the, uh, uh, between the beauty of who Christ made our church to be and made us to be as new creations in Christ and the blemish that we have, one of the things that God gives us to shrink that distance is love. To love others. Can, can I prove this and just, I, I could just prove it in the passage that we have before us, but if, 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 you, just, um, if you just hold on with me just for a second. Y'all know John 3.16. Have you heard that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a beautiful picture of God's love for us. John 3.16. Uh, there are other passages in John that talk to us about minding the gap. As it relates to love. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Seems to be some connection there between being the church, 
the objects, recipients of Christ's love, and displaying that love to others. By this, people are going to know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. John 15, beginning verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I've written to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Can, can I turn over to Romans right quick? Romans chapter 5, just one of the passages in Romans that help us understand the connection between diminishing the gap between beauty and blemish, uh, becoming the church that Christ has saved us to be, the, the church that his love has made us to be. How do we do that? By our love. Okay? <laughs> Romans chapter 5. Begin verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man would someone die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of Christ poured out for us, and it leads the Apostle Paul to, to say, All right, we're the bride. And we're beautiful. But the church displays her beauty through the love that we share. Not just any love, but it's the love that Jesus has shared with us. See, here's our job. I, I want you to write this down. The church's job is to show others the love that Jesus has shown us. That's our job. Do you realize that? That's, our job is not to make ends meet. As a church, our job is not to have a savings account as a church. Our job is not to make sure that we sing songs that everybody enjoys, although we like to do that. Wasn't that some good stuff that we just sang? I mean, that, that's really inspirational. We, but our, our job is not to make sure that the preacher stands in a one single spot the whole time. That's, that's, that may be my job, but it's not our job. Our job is not to make sure that we have... Uh, this, that, or the other thing, or uh, specific programs just for you. That's not our job. Our job as a church is to show the beauty of who we are by loving others the way Jesus has loved us. Make no mistake, that is our job. And the question is, how well are you doing at our job? See, because the church is the bride of Christ, but it's also the body of Christ, each one of us make up a member of the body. And all that we do, each one individually, comprises of what we do as a whole. So if a toe over here doesn't do a very good job loving, then the whole body suffers. And if you don't believe that, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Begin in verse 4 and just read through the whole uh, chapter of 1 Corinthians 12. If, if one of us fails to do the job that God has given us to do, then we all suffer. The, the gap remains between beauty and blemish. But our job is to shrink that gap. So today I want us to work hard to see and understand the mandate of Christ on our life to love others the way Christ has loved us, to display the beauty of the church by how we love one another. 
Well, we see this again in Ephesians chapter 5. If you just look at verses 1 and 2, we're just going to settle in here for a second. Ephesians 5, verse 1, imitate God as dearly loved children. Now, again, let me just stop there and just tell you this is the only place in the New Testament where it says imitate God. Uh, there, there are no other places. So this is important. Now, imitating God, that's, that's the mandate upon the church. We're supposed to imitate God. But how are we supposed to imitate God? Well, we can't imitate God in creating. Uh, There's not a person here who can speak into the void of nothingness and create the sun, moon, and stars. All right, so let's just give ourselves a break there. We can't can't imitate God in that way. We can't imitate God in in, uh, uh, providing perfectly in every way, in every circumstance, in every situation. We can't imitate God in being all-knowing or all-powerful, or all-present, okay? We can't do that, so those are not ways that we can imitate God. But Paul is talking about a way in which we can imitate God, one way in which you and I can, can step up, stand up, and we as a church can be like God. And what is that way? Love. Love is the topic here in Ephesians 5.1. He's just jumped off of it in verse 32 He says of of chapter 4. He says, get away with all the stuff that are anti-love, bitterness, anger, wrath, that kind of thing, and pick up the things that produce love or are byproducts of love, and that is uh, kindness, compassion, or tenderheartedness and forgiveness. But here he says in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, okay, you are the recipients of this love. You have received this love. You are part of the beloved. Imitate God as dearly loved children. That dearly loved is one word in the Greek language, and it means you have been lavished with the love of God. You are part of his family. Look, I knew that my dad loved me. I knew that my mom loved me and loved me still because they showed me. And they, they showed me. They didn't, they didn't just show me. They told me. And constantly, not perfectly, my goodness, not perfectly, they passed on plenty of dysfunction to me that I passed on to my children. Y'all got to catch up with that one. (laughs) But my parents showed me that I was loved as a member of their family, as as their child. God has shown us that we are the objects, the recipients of his marvelous, life-giving, soul-satisfying love. We're part of the beloved. And so as recipients of the love, then we need to imitate God, mimic, follow in his footsteps in loving others. And that's what verse 2 is about. He says, walk in love. If the first command is to imitate God or be imitators of God, then the second command is just as convicting. It says, uh, walk in love. Literally, every step you take must be ruled by the love of God that has been shown you. Every part of your conversations need to be soaked in the love of God. Every relationship that you have needs to be directed, informed, and consumed in the love of God. Every thought, every direction, every decision, everything should be ruled by the love of God so that our conversations with people are not a reflection of our own self-interest or our own desires, but rather they're a reflection of God's love shown to us through Christ being poured through us towards someone else. Are you loving your wife the way Jesus has loved you? Just stop there for a second. Are you loving your children 
the way Jesus has loved you. My children have gone through the learning to drive years, but can I tell you, that tested us. That's a test to see if I will still love my children the way Christ has loved me, even though they're driving or learning to drive. I think they're still learning to drive. It's a test. Are, are, Are you loving them the way Christ has loved you? Look, the church, we're called to love in such a way that every, there's not an excuse for us to ever walk without Christ's love directing our way. You don't get a bypass on this. There's not a loophole. Well, you don't know how bad those people are. It doesn't matter how bad they are. Do you realize that Jesus loved you even while you were a sinner? Even while you were ungodly, that is the model and the measure and the manner in which we are to love people. Not when they get all their stuff together. We're supposed to love them when they can't get all their stuff together. That's how Jesus has loved us. We're not supposed to love them when their cultural ideas fit our moral code of conduct. No! God didn't love you like that. You say, well, I've always been good. Liar. You haven't. That's just a lie. It's a lie we tell ourselves to give us an excuse uh, not to love people that we don't want to love. That's why Jesus said, hey, listen, this is Matthew. Hey, he said in his Sermon on the Mount, hey, listen, you can love the people that are just like you. You call them friends. Loving your friends is easy. He said, but you're supposed to love your enemies. You're supposed to love the ones that hate you, persecute you, and spitefully use you. When we follow Christ's example of love, that is what we do. The church displays her beauty when we love the way Christ has loved us. Live a life of love just as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God. So he he gave himself for us. That was his act of love. And in that giving, he became an offering and a sacrifice to God. What is that pointing to? Well, it points to the fact that your sin was sending you to hell, that, that our sin had separated us from God, but in order to build a bridge between a holy God and a sinful Eric Thomas, Jesus gave his life as an offering and a sacrifice to pay the debt that my sin demanded so that I might live in intimacy with God. That is love. Jesus gave himself in death taking on the burden, the penalty, and the punishment of my sin upon himself so that I could live in the family of God. That is what love looks like, and that's the way we're supposed to love others, each other. Is that the way you're loving? See, I, I, I know it's hard because it's hard for me. I know it's hard for you, and, 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 and this is challenging, but just because it's challenging doesn't mean that there's an excuse. I want you, and that's one of the reasons why we get together. You see, one of the reasons we get together is to help each other love the way Christ has called us to. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 says, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some, but get together so that you might stir up, what's the word? Love and good works in each other. So I want you to turn to the person on your right and say, I'm going to help you love today. I want you to turn to the person on your left and say, I'm going to help you love today. 
That's why we're here. Mind the gap. Shrink the distance. So how do we get to the place where we help one another love? Well, we help each other first be kind. We got to help each other be kind. If somebody around you is unkind and you know that they're part of this family, if they go up to them and say, you aren't very kind, you need to, you need to stop that. Just, I mean, we need to help each other be kind. This is what Paul said. He said, be kind to one another. Kindness is just where we see somebody in need and we're going to be generous and helpful to them. It means we're, we're not going to be a jerk. Some of y'all are just jerks. I mean, I get it. I am too at times. But you need to say, Pastor, I'm going to help you love today and tell me. Call me out when I'm not kind. We need to be kind. Second, we need to show compassion. Again, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Tenderhearted there means that it's, it's usplachnos. That's the Greek word. Isn't that great? I just love saying that word. Uh, but it means to have a heartfelt sympathy that leads to activity towards someone in need. Now, this is a beautiful picture of what we are supposed to be, what our church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be kind and compassionate. And can I tell you, that is the DNA of our church. That is who we are. We are beautiful because Jesus in his love has made us beautiful in this way where we are passionate to show kindness and compassion to people around us. We've shown it over and over and over again. When families lose uh, half their home or most of their possessions right before Christmas because of a fire, we step in and step up and we show kindness and compassion and, and provide practical as well as financial help. Now we, we, we see families in our family of faith called First Norfolk all around the communities. And, and when the hurricane came through and it flooded out so many in our church, we, we took our resources and we combined them together and we provided help for them, to, uh, rebuilding stuff and, and, and doing bridges between insurance and all that kind of stuff. That is showing kindness and compassion. That's minding the gap. That's stepping up and saying, we're going to love. That's who we are. This is, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. You see this. I haven't even looked at my notes, but Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45 you see uh, what the first church did. It says, now all who believed had every, uh, were together and they had all things in common. And, and they sold their possessions and goods. And they, they combined those possessions and goods together so that the people in the church who were in need, who were fired from their job or furloughed from the government, would have the resources that they needed to make ends meet. To move forward. And yes, that's who we are as a church. As a church, we have historically provided help for our family of faith. Whatever need they needed, we would step in and, and our benevolence ministry. I don't like the name of that because it sounds like handouts and that kind of stuff. But really, it's just, just the church being the church. We need to find a different name. But, but our deacon ministry uh, uh, coordinates our, our, our benevolence ministry. And, and, and we, uh, we receive offerings for that every time we do communion. Like the 27th of this month, we're going to do communion. And we receive benevolence offerings, and, and then we use all those offerings. And every year, we, we will do somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 every year of just helping our church family. 
That's who we are. But we also know that during this season, a community like uh, Hampton Roads, we're going to have a lot of our families and, and, and a lot of our folks who are part of our church family who are furloughed from the uh, shutdown of the government. And we don't know how that long that's going to last. Goodness knows, we have no idea how long that's going to last. But we know our families are hurting, and if your family is anything at all like my family has been, you lose one paycheck, and you get a paycheck that just has zeros on it, man, you're in trouble. And we know that. And we don't sit idly by and say, well, you know, we're going to pray for you. Oh, God bless you. We're going to pray for you. No, you know what we do as a church? Our finance team got together this week and, and, and they talked and they prayed along with uh, uh, the deacon representative of our benevolence ministry. They got together, they talked, they prayed, and they came up and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, as needed, we're going to increase the, the, the benevolence fund and whoever in our church family needs the help, all they have to do is call Eric Thomas in his office, call the pastor's office, and say, here, I'm furloughed, this is what I need. And, uh, or you can, you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org. You just let us know your need, and we will step up through our ministry that we have in place. We're going to step up, and we are going to help you because that's what love does. And we want you to be a recipient of it. We, we want, and this is something we do all the time. We just don't talk about it the way we do it all the time. But this is something you need to know about. If you're fur- furloughed you have a, uh, and, and, and you got double zeros on your paycheck on Friday, you need to be in touch with my office. We'll go through this process where we can help you. We've taken some of the resources that God has graciously provided us and been generous with us. We've taken some of those resources and we applied them to our benevolence because it's not just about us asking you for money. It's also taking the money that God's already given us and helping our people out. Do you know what kind of testimony that is to a community that's only used to us asking and not giving? This is what makes the church beautiful. We are kind and we're compassionate. So this week, if, if you're furloughed or, uh, or any kind of need that you might have, you contact my office as you would at any other time. You contact my office or you can te- uh, email pastor at firstnorfolk.org and we will start the ball rolling and we will help you. Be kind and compassionate. Now, all of us will cheer about that because we like that part. We like to be kind. Yes, I like being kind. Be compassionate. Absolutely, I like being compassionate. You, you look at Ephesians 4.32, and there's this one other word that really hits us a little bit. It's called forgive. Can, can I say that some of us don't think the church is beautiful, not because the church is ugly, but more because we're still caught in the grip of bitterness and anger and wrath? And we're holding a grudge that we've never forgiven. The very picture of Ephesians 4.32, and forgive one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. That means you cover it with grace. It, it, it literally means to take the offense and cover it over in the grace of God. Some of you have been holding on to a grudge of disappointment or somebody didn't treat you right or somebody said an ugly word or took your parking spot or sitting in your seat that you think you deserve to sit in. You've been holding a grudge. 
You let bitterness take root. And you don't think the church is beautiful. Folks, the church didn't change. Maybe it's time to cover whatever it is with grace. No, it is time. See, love demands forgiveness. We're going to love others the way Christ has loved us. We're going to forgive the way Jesus has forgiven us. Isn't it time to forgive? Stop holding on to the bitterness or the anger. Stop acting like the crime that you're holding on to is a special case. It's not. I mean, it's special to you, but it's time to let it go. Today, my prayer for us is that we might be kind. That we might be compassionate. That we might forgive. And I know it's hard. It is hard. It's, it's hard to consider. It's hard to, it's hard to do. But, but it's in the difficulty of loving others that we help each other. We need to help each other be kind. We need to help each other be compassionate. We need to help each other forgive. Somebody keeps on grousing about the same old thing and acting like the church is a nasty place. You need to say, maybe you need to forgive somebody. Turn to somebody on your right and say, I'm going to help you love today. Turn to somebody on your left and say, I'm going to help you love today. See, this is what churches, we've got to mind the gap. We've got to help each other shrink the distance between the beauty and the blemish. This is sharing life together. This is what we're supposed to be doing. I'm going to help you love today. In these next few moments as we close out the remainder of our time together, I, I just want to encourage you and, and just, just stop. And don't think about leaving. Don't think about lunch or dinner or supper or rain or anything like that. Just stop. Just close your eyes right now. Bow your heads. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to love the way Jesus has loved us. So how do we get to that place? How can we, you and how can you and I help each other? And how can we get to the place where we're loving others the way Christ has loved us? Well, maybe, just maybe, what we need to do is soak in the beauty of Christ's love for us right now. And just to sink again the roots of our soul down into the love of Christ for us. And maybe, maybe what needs to happen here and now is that we just need to reflect on, on the persistent, passionate, life-changing, soul-satisfying love of Jesus. You see, Jesus loved us enough to die on a cross for us, provide a pathway for us to be in God's family. But do you know that Jesus is still loving you? He is still cherishing you and still nourishing you. Maybe what needs to happen in these next few moments is just to stop and allow the love of Christ to overwhelm you. Again, walk in love means that as we walk, we've been soaked in the love of Christ. So before we leave this place today, let's soak in Christ's love that holds us fast to himself and fills us up so that we can serve him and live for him to live a life of love. So, Father, in these moments, as we just take time to reflect and consider that we are your beloved children, will you soak our souls in the love of Christ? Remind us, remind us of how you 
hold us close to yourself and will not let us go. How that we are the recipients of your love. And as we reflect on your love for us, may you spark in us a passionate love for others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.
Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold.